every entrepreneur has a story. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, where each episode, your host, Brian Carney, will share a drink with a successful business owner and have them discuss their unique journey, gaining insight on what it takes to be an entrepreneur and different ways to get there. Brian isn't just a beer nerd. He's also the co-founder of River's Edge Advisors, a financial planning firm headquartered in Delaware, specializing in working with business owners. It's time to pour yourself a drink and enjoy a happy half hour with an entrepreneur. My guest today is Tim Myhawk. Tim's path to business ownership is a fascinating one. He started out at a public accounting firm and was told by his managing partner that leaving the comforts of a steady paycheck in a proven industry would be a big mistake and one he would likely regret. Since then, Tim's financial leadership and operational know-how helped his one-time small digital marketing company, The Archer Group, go through multiple mergers and acquisitions, including a sale this year to one of the largest digital marketing firms in the country, Bounteous. Bounteous works with clients such as Coca-Cola, Mars Candy, and a favorite in the Northeast, Wawa. Speaking of Wawa, I'll be drinking a Wawa and Two Stones Brewing collaboration. We are recording this episode just before Christmas, and Two Stones used Wawa Coffee to create an awesome holiday beer called the Holiday Reserve Coffee Stout. Tim will be drinking Buffalo Trace, a bourbon he stumbled upon many years ago when his diehard commitment to the Buffalo Bills led him to try it based on the word Buffalo being in the label. With that, welcome, Tim, and cheers. 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 Thanks for having me. Yep. Well, first, let's start with the football. Uh, the Bills won the AFC East for the first time since 1995, and you're drinking a Buffalo Trace to celebrate, so I love it. Yeah, I think a rather timely uh, episode we've got here. For you know, sure. I'm, I'm riding on cloud nine right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, let's talk a little bit about your business. So tell me a little bit about your business and and you know how you got started and all, and that the background to that. Yeah, so the original agency was called The Archer Group, and it kind of blossomed out of uh, the dot-com boom in 2003. Um, So, you know, at that time, kind of everything was getting hyped on the internet. People were trying to figure out how to market, and really it was just email-based marketing back at that time. And and that was kind of what started Archer. Um, It was actually, I'm not a founder, I had a business partner, and neither one of us were actually founders. We bought the two founders out. And, uh, but the two founders, you know, it's the old start the business in your basement story, hope and pray you get clients. And, uh, and they did. And, you know, we came in and, and took it over and kind of helped grow it from there. And it really evolved uh, when we sold it earlier this year into, you know, a, a software development and creative agency uh, doing great work for, you know, lots of, um, we found quite the niche in financial services, working with, you know, JP Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, M&T Bank. Um, as you mentioned, Wawa was kind of a, a core client for a long time and they really helped the agency grow up yeah. and uh, get some regional recognition because, you know, everyone around here loves Wawa. It's kind of a cult, so. For sure. Yeah, that's a, uh, people are either Dunkin' Donuts or Wawa coffee people. So to, to get a Wawa brand, people do are obsessed with it. That, that is for sure. Yeah, it's always nice too. And uh, we just went through a, an election season and it always feels like when politicians visit this area, they want to talk about Wawa. <laughs> and, and a few years ago, we had, we redesigned the cat screen for Wawa. And 
I think it, it might have been like Mitt Romney or somebody who wanted, and he's like, oh, I was back in Pennsylvania trying to order Wawa. I couldn't figure this thing out. They changed it on me. And it's just crazy how many people like memorize their <laughs> screen orders at a Wawa that that type of stuff like sets people off. So if funny. that is true, I can order my, uh, my sandwich at Wawa in less than about nine seconds. So that, that is absolutely the truth. Um, <laughs> so talk a little bit about the trajectory of Archer group. It, it's been really special and, you know, you guys have really come a long way since that sort of smallish agency. And I guess maybe it took a little bit longer than five years, but you know, talk about the, the, the explosion of growth that you guys had. Yeah, well, really, it was one of those things, you know, early on, you know, the first in the early years before I was involved, it was your normal kind of headwind, just kind of getting things off the ground. Um, I'm going to go a little bit further back and then we'll talk about the growth. You know, we got lucky. Chase reached out one time through a friend and said, hey, we've got some email work. We'd like you to go. We need it done for like 300 bucks and we need it done fast being scrappy and it's just like all right do it let's get it done and you know that actually led and grew over the years to a multi-million dollar um, relationship i think it was about two years later we signed our first million dollar deal with chase for a single ah. statement of work and now we probably do business with 10 different lines of business at chase and that's kind of how the whole agency formed it was you know do something for a friend or a family or all word of mouth growth do a great job. And once we got in and proved ourselves, we were able to get people to sign up for more work. Um, wow. We didn't have, we're not in, you know, we're based out of Wilmington, Delaware. So it's not exactly the hotbed of agency talent. You're not seeing any of Wilmington people in Mad Men. <laughs> <laughs> so that was always the hardest part was like fighting this, like, why should we hire this company in Wilmington, Delaware? And it was always more about give us a shot and we'll show you what we can do where we put quality first instead of just being fast in these. Uh, and really, I think uh, my background and Mike Darren's background, who was my business partner, he's he's very, um, he was more sales focused, but we're very pragmatic in both of our kind of approaches to life and leadership. Right. And I think that's one thing that helped Archer become really a trusted partner for most companies because we took everything serious and treated everyone's dollars like they were ours. We yeah. never were in the business of like, let's get everyone talking for 15 seconds. Right. We were more like, let's get this business profits for years to come. Right. And it was always more about like business solutions than it was like marketing flair. Yeah. And that really actually positioned us a lot different in the market. And really why we ended up having this such a strong footprint in financial services, because we became this trusted partner that focused on P&L, which the shareholders liked, security, which also, which everyone kind of liked. And yeah. then we still yeah. brought this great design team into the fold, which made everything exciting. I have to imagine that differentiated you guys quite a bit in, in your space where I'm, I'm sure everyone just wants to show, you know, cool designs of what they can do for graphically and, and what the campaign is going to be, as opposed to really talking about what most of the owners care about is the P&L. Yeah. And everyone wants to do it for Under Armour and for, you know, these big brands that want free work because, uh, because they are who they are. Yeah. And we actually pitched Puma one time, gave up, probably did like hundreds of thousand dollars in free work. And then they're just like, yeah, sorry, we're going to go with our normal people. And, <laughs> and it's just like, we, we realized early on that that was like an uphill battle that wasn't worth it. Right. By kind of getting ourselves situated with these large companies that were kind of um, really mature first and kind of, design and marketing second 
we we had 100% year over year growth, if not up to 200% in those early years. Wow. Because we were getting these big projects from these big companies who it was a drop in the bucket to them. Right. So that really led to the early on growth. And then in 2010 is when I officially joined Archer. I was in the luxury of, I was actually there kind of in my introduction, I was their public accountant. So that Archer was a client of mine. So I had the inside knowledge to know that, you know, this is a good company. It's making money. It can be profitable. It's not today. Uh, it just needs real like business leadership. Right. And that was essentially the same time, right around the same time that Michael Darren's um, my business partner came in. And uh, so we all, we joined at the same time and within within a year of joining Archer, the founders had stepped away and myself, Mike Darren's and another gentleman, Todd Miller, who's now at Wawa running all their digital advertising, um, kind of stepped into leadership roles and took over from there. And at that point we were like, all right, now let's like, let's grow this thing to sell. Yeah. But without the mentality of a timeline, you know, I'm 36 years old, Mike's in his low forties and Todd's in his low forties. So 10 years ago, when we made that decision, we all were not even thinking about retirement or anything. We were just thinking about, let's grow it. We know that one day we're going to sell it, hopefully make some good money. And that'll kind of be our, our walk away strategy. And uh, yeah. And the timeline kind of just took off. That's awesome. So there's actually a lot to unpack there. So first of all, <laughs> did you know Mike Darren's before you became business partners? It's not, or was it you and Mike decided to buy this? No. So Mike and I had a great working relationship because when I was Archer's public accountant, I was also Mike doing Mike's personal taxes. So him and I developed a great relationship at that point in time. Um, I actually, there was four partners at the time, Mike Darren's, Todd Miller, Patrick Callahan and Lee Michaels. Um, Patrick and Lee are both great business starters. They've started multiple businesses here in town and great advocates for Delaware. So they were really who my relationship was with. And I was so excited to go work with Lee and Patrick. And Patrick is really the one who, you know, took a chance on a 25 year old kid um, to say, hey, Tim can make us better and push the other partners to bring me on. And uh, I shared an office with Patrick early on. And like every day we would start with like, all right, how do we take over the world today? Oh, I love it. It's like a, it, it was a cool thing, but, you know, it also became tiresome because every day we were trying to think of almost new ideas and it, and it got hard. Yeah, that's exhausting. <laughs> but yeah, so no, I, I really had just a client relationship with Mike and uh, really actually just hit it off once we started working together. And I think a lot of it, though, was, you know, at that time, you know, Lee Michaels and Patrick Callahan had control of the business and it took kind of some years to figure out how that dynamic was going to work. And right. then they stepped away, and but they remained as owners in the capacity. Um, so we actually went through kind of three different buyouts really? to get them kind of what they were looking for, but also kind of shift control back to the company. And we had some other partners come in over the years, you know, a little bit of equity here, a little bit of equity there. Somebody would come, somebody would go. Um, that, that happened a handful of times. Um, at the end, when we actually sold back in January, there was four of us that were kind of the primary leadership group. And in the agency world, it's not uncommon to have, you know, various people with equity. It's kind of how you reward people for their hard work. Um, so we had, you know, Mike kind of focused on sales, myself really on the business op and the operations mm -hmm. side of, of the house. 
the business operations. Um, Jen Spofford, who really led our client team, um, which was focused on those client conversations and making things happen. Yeah. And then uh, a guy named Joe DeSico, who was our COO, um, but really focused more on the in, like how we get work done and the operations with our project management team. So I was the one more focused on like IT and, and kind of the back office business side of operations, if that makes sense for you. Right. Um, so yeah, there ended up being four of us at that point in time. And uh, we all kind of were able to partake. And, and uh, I think, you know, if you take a, a few steps back, I'm nothing but kind of thankful for <laughs> Lee and Patrick for taking this shot on me and, you know, ultimately decided they want to go. I think Patrick left and moved to California because he had different aspirations. And it was a little bit of good luck, a little bit of good fortune, a lot of hard work, but you, know, you kind of need everything in these transactions for things to work out. And I feel like I was kind of right place, right time, and just put myself in a good situation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let, let's, so that, that brings up the next point, which I think is an interesting one. So CPAs stereotypically aren't the most entrepreneurial people. Yeah. You know, I, I've actually heard a uh, selling coach, a sales trainer one time refer to accountants as non-selling professionals. So it, it is kind of interesting that, you know, your background as a public accountant and now yeah. you are an entrepreneurial as it possibly gets. Talk a little bit about how that mind shift happened, that, that mindset shift happened and, you know, how you ended up realizing that you wanted to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, I don't think it's you know, skill set as much as it is mindset, right? I mean, I've always been entrepreneur. I've been grinding since I was 10 years old, trying to you know, make a dollar out of 50, <laughs> however I could. I was always, I'm one of five kids. I was always the hustler in the group. Like if there were somebody's leaves or snow to be done, I was doing it. I started selling shoes at 15 at Kids Foot Locker. Amazing. And like, as a part-time employee, I was one of like the top salespeople on like, you know, at, at a store like the Foot Locker, it's all about upsell. So of course people are buying and coming in to buy sneakers, but how many shoelaces can you sell and how many bottles of foam cleaner can you sell? Yeah, the cleaner always. <laughs> I killed that stuff. I was always like, as part-time, I was like top. Cause like that, that was the game. And I've always kind of, I've more made work about like a competition with myself than anything else. Um, from there, I moved on to, uh, Domino's Pizza, where, you know, at 18 years old, I was a general manager running a store while I was in college. That's amazing. And it was just because, you know, I've always treated every business I've touched like my own. And uh, at the time, the Domino's was, was a franchise, a gentleman in Milford, he owned like 15 stores. And, uh, but I would, I'm a team, I would always just kind of be a team player first. And uh, so what do you need? I, you need me to jump over and help another store out? I would. And like just that hard work and just like my kind of putting the business first gave me this credibility that people just started to trust me with their own businesses. Right. Um, so really, I, I was actually went to University of Delaware as a marketing major hmm. and uh, Domino's wanted me to come back and kind of lead their marketing practices and kind of take over as like a regional manager. Really? And, and that was my plan going into college. So I was a marketing major. Um, junior year, I was kind of like, you know, marketing is great and all, but it see, feels more kind of like a fluff major. Like I wasn't really learning anything anymore. It was mm -hmm. just so general. Um, and I was like, what's something that's more of like a direct path to, and really like strengthen my business skills. So I jumped over to becoming a kind of going through the accounting program. Uh, so finished the accounting program, at University of Delaware, 
And uh, even then, at my senior year, I actually left Domino's and went to work in MBA at their um, uh, financial accounting division. Right. I was actually on a team that used. Yeah, you know, everybody had a affiliate credit card from MBA back in the day, whether it was Delaware, or NASCAR driver, football team, whatever. Yes. So I actually worked on the team that like paid the businesses for those credit card programs. It was called Affinity Compensation. Okay. And uh, the year, and I was planning on staying there. I mean, that was I was going to be an MBA MBA uh, It was great like many people work. in Delaware. Yeah. Uh, my senior year of college, they sold the Bank of America. So I had to kind of make a choice and kind of overnight, I was just like, all right, I'm not going to stay. I might as well see uh, what this accounting thing is really all about. And I started interviewing with CPA firms, um, came very close to moving to uh, Bethesda, which oh. is an area I really liked and working for a big CPA firm down there. And ultimately just decided I was just comfortable in Delaware and wanted to stay. Um, so that's when I went for the, to work for the public accounting firm. Uh, you had talked about, and everywhere I go, I kind of, I was always happy, but then I was thinking about like, how do I get more? It was just kind of the way I'm wired. I'm, I'm wired to kind of just keep pushing myself and keep pushing the situation. And I wasn't really looking to leave outside of, I saw an opportunity to kind of go into a company being Archery, which was a client and kind of make a difference and push them forward. I saw business owners that weren't selfish. They were in it more to like an all boats rise mentality. Yeah. So I kind of just saw an opportunity um, and took a chance. And I didn't go there with any promise of equity or being able to buy in. I went there as a, a senior accountant. Mm. As So it was kind of a lateral move out of the CPA firm world. Um, but I quickly, within like three months, became controller. And then within two years, I was CFO. And like they could tell I was there to like push them. Yeah. Uh, and it was interesting. It, it was a challenge because, you know, you start working with people that are just in an industry where I consider kind of the CPA world. You can kind of go and work anywhere. Um, it's a general skill set and you just need to apply it to the kind of the mechanics of the business. And I got there and it was like, at first, all my ideas were shot down as like, oh, like we're an agency. We, we don't do that. Here. I'm like, no, like you sell hours for money. You're no different than a law firm or an engineering firm or any public service practice. For like, sure. Yeah. So basically bad decisions became we're an agency. And it, it took like three years to kind of like break the team of that thought process that like we can't cover every bad decision we make up with the thought that like we're an agency and it's what agencies do. <laughs> But I really think once people started making money um, and a lot of that was just like actually understanding the business, what makes money, what doesn't make money. People were like, all right, I'm into this. I'm making more money. So yeah. you know, this kid knows what he's talking money. about. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, so it actually seems to me that you were an entrepreneur that ended up being a CPA, not vice versa. Yeah. I think that's where I was trying to go with that, where it's like, it, it's, I've always had it in me. It's always been kind of, who I was. I'm actually not the only business. I've, I'm involved in a, a car business as well, where we sell aftermarket car parts. I've had some form of a business like that for 20 years of my life back to when I was in college. Um, I've always just kind of been dabbling in, in different things um, just because I, I actually genuinely enjoy watching businesses grow, transform, and kind of go through the life cycle. It, it's really cool to me. Yeah. So, I mean, that is at the heart, you are entrepreneur through and through for sure. Yeah. So what do you, so now you lead Archer, 
uh, through a sale to Bounteous. Yeah. So what's your role now? How is it different than it was before? Yeah, it's, you know, the every kind of private equity. So we sold Archer to a private equity group who owns Bounteous. Um, you know, Bounteous was effectively a, a platform company. So it was a bunch of business owners just like myself who wanted private equity to come in and help them grow their business. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of, uh, we're the fifth company they bought to kind of stack on top of this platform company and build a much bigger agency. This is a pretty common model um, in several industries with private equity. So really this first, like, I'm not even a year in, but these first nine months, not a lot's been different from a day-to-day standpoint because I'm still, we, for private equity reasons, we had to keep our own set of books. So I'm kind of doing a lot of that still, but what's changed dramatically is the scale on, so our numbers are going into this other numbers and everything's just multiplied times five or six. Um, we brought a business, Archer was very, you know, I talked about our niche in financial services. Well, that brought with it a lot of IT infrastructure and data security and information security practices Yeah. that usually Bounteous has never had to worry about. So we've been doing a lot of, you know, integration planning with like making the Archer standards for IT and kind of the way we do things and process is the standard for Bounteous, which is a challenge. Um, and vice versa, we've been inheriting there. We were very, you know, very protected. Everything was kind of on-prem. We had servers at our office in Wilmington, Delaware, and everything with Bounteous is cloud-based. So like our teams are learning all new tools, figuring out new ways to do the work they do. So really this whole first year is just like everybody relearning kind of the way to do their job. Right. And, uh, you know, we actually just bought another company. We closed (laughs) last month. So, you know, the last two months has been, you know, nothing goes away. So everything I've been doing, and then we added on top of that, helping buy uh, another agency out of Atlanta, Georgia, um, called 44, who they specialize in web development in a, on a platform called Magento. Um, and, and Bounteous is really big on a platform called uh, Adobe AEM. So we're actually one of two agencies in the world that has certificates and specializations in both Magento and AEM. So oh, it was wow. a pretty acquisition. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite part about that process, about the mergers and acquisition process, either ones that have affected you personally or, you know, that you've gone through yeah. as, as far as Honestly, it was neat to see all my hard work kind of pay off. You know, you hear horror stories about like due diligence during an M&A process and I'll, I heard from multiple people that it was like the smoothest transaction they've ever had. Oh, wow. And, and uh, yeah. And like there was so much confidence because I was able to kind of answer any question kind of on the spot. Any report was just readily available because we just maintained the business in such a clean way. We had processes around everything. And I think a lot of that actually goes back to I was a public accountant. I'm used to being audited. I was used to doing tax and tax audits. So every process I built out kind of had those things in the back of my mind. Yes. And going back to your question on why you became an on, like from a CPA entrepreneur standpoint, I think that's exactly why I wanted in college to go that CPA route is I wanted that more like expertise experience that I could then apply to any business that sure. I ever touched. And it really paid off at that point in time. And after just going through this one with for 44 and being on the other side and seeing, you know, they actually didn't even have an in-house 
um, accountant. They had a part-time like bookkeeper and an outsourced CFO. Yep. Kind of like the difference in knowledge between having somebody on the outside and the inside is really night and day. And I think it only proved to myself and even to Mike who looks on the situation is like, wow, like if I had never, you know, made the leap to hire you with Patrick and all the guys years ago, this probably is never even possible because our business wouldn't have been mature enough. For sure. Yeah. So yeah. that, that, I think that was the most rewarding part for me was kind of seeing this culmination of all my hard work over the years, really kind of like snowball and be like one of the main reasons that this transaction was able to happen. Yeah. So the flip side, what's the most difficult part about a merger or the part you like the least? Yeah, well, I'll keep the, I don't know, I'm thinking, because I, <laughs> I still work for Bounty. <laughs> um, I think that really the biggest challenge is you just don't know what you're going to get. I think for a lot of people, the biggest challenge might actually be the process part of it because they're not super organized. Um, it's, it's very common. I mean, I, I consult with lots of different companies who their books and kind of their practices, even to like the way they get their work, it's just a mess. So that whole process could be very hard if you don't have that together. But I think for me, it was more the unknown. I think, um, when you're in that kind of M and A phase, everyone's doing their best to show and act like they're the best and no one's talking about their warts or kind of like the bad things about their business. It's like dating. Yeah. And then once, <laughs> once things transact, then it's like, oh, by the way, we've got this problem over here. We'd love for you to go fix that. And it's just like, oh, if I would have known about that ahead of time, maybe my decision would have been different. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the hardest part is like, uh, but I found like you can't second guess yourself. You just go with it. Like it is what it is. It's all over now. How do I just help make it better? But definitely that kind of that unknown is the hardest part to deal with. And then we we had to deal with COVID. I mean, we basically, we were an everyone in the office everyday company. We have one person in New York. um, And then other than that, everybody else came to Wilmington every day um, from within an hour and a half radius to work. And we sold on January 31st and like March 7th, we closed our offices. Incredible. Effectively had a month period that to get to know the people that bought us, who you're going to be working with going forward and then just all work from home and not be able to, you know, there was this whole plan of like, we'll go to all these offices and we'll visit, we'll get to know to people. We didn't get to do any of that stuff. It was like a double whammy. And I think, you know, I think culture has probably suffered because of that, you know, because people just, we're still, we're working with, we went from a company of hundred people to a company of 600 people. And even the people working with day to day, we've never seen them over anything but a zoom call. Right. it's different when you're used to being like a real small business where everyone's like very family, like, and we built our culture around that. Well, that, you lead me to my next question about culture. So I've been to Archer Group's office. Uh, yeah. You guys built an incredible culture that was fun, but down, you'd still still have to get down to work. So um, talk a little bit about how you were able to build such a positive culture. And it really seemed like people enjoyed coming to work there. Yeah, I think every, you know, the agency space had always been kind of like trying to be the fun space. It was one of the, even me, it was kind of like when I first went to Archer the first time, you know, their lobby was like a kegerator and a putting <laughs> green and it always had those things. 
um, to kind of made it more exciting than most of the other businesses in town. I think we were able to take it and like, as we started to make money, like take it up a notch. And like, it wasn't, you know, we, we actually had a group called culture club that were, they were more like an events planning committee. So we kind of thought of culture as two things. There was kind of like the events and camaraderie and keeping everybody together. And then there's kind of the tone set by leadership. And, and we tried to always be, you know, very open door, very, um, you know, employee first, we understood that our best asset was our people. Honestly, yeah. it was our only asset. And so it was all about keeping people happy. And we really though evolved into like a nine to five company, which is very rare for agencies. Um, you know, you typically get these 60, 70 hour work weeks. It's all about being super utilized. And yeah. And people working at three things. in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that's why you think of like these companies like, oh, we've got nap pods and this and that. Because <laughs> the you're there all the time. Yeah. And we realized our people didn't really want that. Like people kind of came to Archer because they were almost ready to get out of that and settle down and be able to have kind of a balance with their family yeah. um, and their job. Um, so we kind of started building like this culture where we still could have fun, but we would do it in like limited amounts. We'd have a very nice office. We'd get everybody like top of the line equipment. Like it was, we didn't want to ever have the business be the reason somebody wasn't kind of happy or successful or didn't have the tools they needed to be successful. So like yeah. all these things rolled together um, to make what we thought was like a fantastic culture. And we did a lot of fun stuff. I mean, we probably had a happy hour at least every other week we would bring lunch in um, once a week, we had free snacks and food and we had a full bar in the office. I mean, there's lots of fun stuff. Don't get me wrong that help. Like, cause those are the things that like, they're the intangibles that don't, no one's going to not leave you because you have those things as a business owner. But I think they help people like stop from looking maybe when they are like unhappy for a little while and kind of look at different things or, sure. And from a recruiting standpoint, it's it's knockout. I mean, again, I said earlier, Wilmington's not exactly a hotbed, so probably half our talent came from the Philadelphia region, which is you know 45 minutes to an hour and 15 away. And uh, if we usually could get people down to the office to interview, we were like 90% as far as like making offers and getting people to accept because just it was a very impressive experience to kind of come to Archer and see everything we had put together. Absolutely. I, I was recently reading a book called Essentialism, and it talked about the importance, especially for creative people with play. So having, you know, sort of like brain breaks to be able to go play foosball or hang out at the bar, or whatever it is. And it seemed like you're dealing with a bunch of creative people. So you, it sounds like that that jives with what the book said. Yeah, I think the book's spot on. I think even if people can't use it or don't choose to use it, I think knowing that it's available and they're free to do it if they want to. Right. is something that like makes people feel good. But yeah, I mean, we, you, you do have to kind of force people in it because we ended up again i think the maturity i talked about earlier also was part of our culture mm -hmm. and uh and so people also were like yeah i got work to do i'm gonna sit here and get it done um i think in the you know in the 13 years i was involved kind of helping to run the people side of archer we had one time where we had somebody like drunk at work or like, <laughs> i think it's a pretty big accomplishment for the culture that we did have because it yeah. was basically do what you want, but you're, you're a grown up. You've got work to do, get it done. Um, but go do whatever you want. Hang out at the bar all day if you want. 
Uh, but work all night then. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you're an adult. It's your your choice to make. No micromanaging. Yeah, that 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 does make sense. So you talked a little bit about the work life balance. So you you know you're married. You have three little girls. So talk yeah. a little bit about how difficult or how you try to maintain that work life balance. Yeah, I said it, and I kind of set a trap because I really do believe there's no such thing as work-life balance. (laughs) (laughs) One of them suffers regardless. Mm -hmm. Um, So the word balance is probably wrong, but it's everybody has to find their own kind of happy spot in my opinion on, you know, that what mix of work versus, you know, being at home time they have. I think again, kind of like I said earlier, we had this culture of being, being an adult. So if you needed to leave early, um, but you were going to hop back on and finish your work later on, Um, That's fine. I mean, within our handbook over 10 years ago, we basically had like, we're not going to ever charge you like time off for doctor's appointments or to go to a family or anything like that. That's normal life stuff that you can control. Just do it. Yeah. Nobody cares. Um, You know, come back, get your, get your time in some other time. You know, for me personally, you know, early on, you know, when, when the business still needed a lot, I was definitely there a lot. And I think as a business owner, that's kind of the the hardest balance is, you know, when your business needs things, you need to be there. And when it's, when your business is actually doing well, that's when you got to take some time to step away. Yep. Um, But I think a lot of people get hesitant at that point. It's like, oh, it's doing well. If I do step away, what's going to happen? You know, the plates are going to fall. Right. And if you start to ask yourself those questions, then you just don't have the right leadership team underneath you. Great point. and we made that investment a few years back where, you know, I used to do all the operations, all the finance, kind of all the HR, everything was myself. And then I went out and we got a COO, became a partner um, that I mentioned earlier. I brought a great person in to do HR. And like, I learned that I couldn't do it all myself and maintain that kind of work-life balance that I was mm-hmm. looking for for myself. So bringing in those people to help was uh, really what kind of got me to the point where I could take a step away. Yeah. That's huge. And I know having a supportive, you need to have support at home as well as at the office to, to help, to help try to make that a little bit better. And it's not the easiest thing to do at both places. That's for sure. That is hundred percent. Yeah. So I always like to ask this question. So if you could go back in time and you're, you're what 36 now, is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. So if you could go back and visit Tim when he's 22, 23 years old, what's one piece of advice you would give to him. Wow. Hang in there with the bills. 2020s. <laughs> that, that is, I did that. So I guess. Now, honestly, I think it's just, you know, keep, keep grinding keep, uh, I, I think that's one of the things that's kind of gone. I'm, like I said, I'm one of five kids. My oldest brother is, you know, just turned 40. My youngest sister is actually 22 years old. So we're quite spread out. Sure. And the the younger folks just don't have like the work ethic right now. And I, I really don't know what's created that. And even I've seen it happen really over the last 10 years where, you know, when I first started working, you know, my boss would come up and be like, hey, can you attend this dinner tonight with so-and-so? And it wouldn't matter if my parents were coming over or my right. girlfriend. I'd be like, sorry, I'm not coming. Yeah. I got work. And I, I think early on, 
I still am a big fan of, you know, prioritize your career. You only kind of get one chance at that first kind of like 10 years of your career to kind of make an impression and really build those stepping stones. And, and I think you have to do that. Um, you know, I think the world's changing a little bit. People aren't as motivated in that period anymore. And I'm not sure that's a good thing. So I don't know. I think I would just say like, I feel like that's where I was successful. Like I worked really hard, really young. Um, so that when I was getting older in life and I'm still not old, um, <laughs> but I feel like I'm older that I could kind of take a step back then because I'd be in a good position. So honestly, yeah. I, I don't think I would tell myself to change a whole lot. I think I kind of did exactly what I set out to do. Yep. And, and I would just tell my, don't lose focus, stay kind of committed to it and, and it'll pay off in the long run. That's great. So what do you think is next for you? Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, I think, you know, Bounty is his private equity owned, so it will sell again um, at, at some point. That's just the private equity game. Um, you know, when that happens or sooner, I'll probably step away from Bounties. I don't think it's the long-term thing for me. I, you know, I, it's hard to go from running a business day to day to just kind of being one of the pieces and I know it's a bigger company, you know, maybe some people might be like, oh, well, you're at 100 and that's 600 and it's a different challenge. And and I do get all that, but I just know it's not for me. Right. Um, I kind of like, you know, being involved in businesses that are smaller and, and more um, leadership's kind of part of the family and part of the team. Right. And so I'll probably look for another opportunity to work and, and help somebody out in that capacity or just help several businesses out. You know, I've always kind of consulted over the years, whether it be pro bono or some people decide to pay me money. <laughs> <laughs> to, uh, but like I said, I, I really am like have this entrepreneurial spirit where like I just like seeing businesses evolve and change. And, you know, I, I just like that. I think period. I do a lot of real estate stuff as well. And it's the same type of thing where like I love the evolution of some seeing something kind of transform. Right. And uh, so I'll probably look to find something else to get my hands on and help try to grow it and, and see where that takes me. So I don't have a, a pure roadmap at this point in time, just kind of going with the flow. That's great. Let's go good. It, yeah. So if you, what, if you had to give advice to someone that's selling a business, going with your background, going through it as many yeah. times as you have, what would be the advice that you would give to, to someone? Yeah, I think you kind of have to think about a few different things. Um, one, why? what's your motivation for doing it? And I think if it's just kind of money and your business is in a great position, that, that's one situation. But a lot of people are thinking about selling their business when they grow tired of it. Yeah. Um, this is another thing I think has changed over the years. Our parents' generation worked at the same place for 50 or 60 years. And yep. These days, I mean, we're tired of stuff after three, four, <laughs> five years. Uh, so you've got business owners that may have had their business for 10, 15, 25, 30 years, and some are just looking for a change. Um, but I think you have to understand why you're trying to make that change first. And I'd always kind of recommend seeing what you can do to fix that in your business before you sell it. Great point. Uh, because I have learned that losing that control is a very hard adjustment. Um, and you have to kind of make sure you're ready for that and be able to really change your mindset. I mean, I went from caring about every aspect to the business to like, 
couple months after the deal, I was in a real black hole where I was like, I don't care about anything. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've now come back and I've bounced it back out where like, you know, so it's really such an emotional roller coaster that I think you have to be prepared for that kind of know what you expect out of kind of the outcomes. And I, so I think honestly, most of it would be talking businesses owners through kind of the emotional roller coaster of what this experience is going to be like, you know, and some, we were, we sold our business and the brand went away. And I think, you know, that was a, that was a tear shedding moment. I mean, that was, that was sad. No doubt. No one I think is prepared for. I mean, it's like losing a pet. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great way to put it. It's this really, really emotional thing where like this brand that you built over the years and, you know, everyone would put your name next to this business name. Half of that's gone now. That's the Archer guy. There's Tim. There's the Archer guy. Yeah. Uh, And I think that's, that's a challenge. And then there's just the business side of it. Obviously there's a lots of, um, T's across and I's to dot when it comes to going through due diligence. And depending on who you sell to, that process can look dramatically different. We're, we had about a 60 day process. Um, I've seen some deals recently close in three weeks and some takes eight months. Wow. So that, that whole experience, and it really just depends on the complexity of your business and what you're going through, but you've really got to make sure you've got things buttoned up and you really go through the process of hiring a, a good investment banker that's going to kind of lead you through that process. And because you Absolutely. don't know what you don't know. And most sure. business owners, unless they're serial kind of entrepreneurs, have never done that before. Yeah, and definitely not their specialty. So they definitely need uh-huh. help on it. Yeah, well, that's great. Thank so thank you so much for your time today. I, re- I really enjoyed our conversation. It was great. Yeah, um, if- hopefully I, uh- answered most of your questions. Absolutely. Yeah. No, thank you. If, uh, if you'd like to learn more about Tim's business, go to bounteous.com. Thanks again, Tim. And uh, cheers. Go Bills. Cheers. Go Bills. Thank you for listening to Happy Hip Hour with an Entrepreneur, sponsored by Rivers Edge Advisors. For more information on how Rivers Edge Advisors can help you, visit their website at riversedgeadvisors.com. If you'd like to connect with Brian Carney for business advice, or just to share a beer, follow him on Instagram at riversedgeadvisors underscore LLC.